Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. Every time that cruise ship does another lap of Japan, a Corona gets its line. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Thamel. It's 11 at night. I know no one in Lubbock. I have no source. The SID is not going to call me. And I panic. And I just grab my cell phone on the table and shut it off. (laughs) 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 I was like, I'm asleep. And SI's. Pat Forty, and so then Bob turned his rhetoric to me. He started coming at me, screaming, and I literally yeah. did not know whether to take notes on him cussing me out or drop the notepad <laughs> and put them up and be ready. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Hopefully, not our last with the uh, coronavirus breaking out. <laughs> I think I think we'll survive, although global plagues are pretty much right in our wheelhouse, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. See, I think we have to survive to be able to chronicle and or mock the <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> I feel like all the people who brought support animals, especially un- unworthy support animals like horses and unicorns or whatever, people, I think they should all get sent to that cruise ship. <laughs> oh, man. That cruise ship is a nightmare. <laughs> If you've heard of this thing, it's like floating around Japan. No one allowed out. You're stuck on a cruise ship in your room, and then more and more people are getting the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, waiting. and that, those little rooms. If you didn't, you didn't splurge oh. for a suite. Like, if you're the husband that was like, "No, nah, we don't need the suite. We can do this little." Uh, you're gonna wish you caught the coronavirus. <laughs> You're sitting there waiting for the Corona Reaper to knock on your door and say, it's your turn to get it. Oh, that's bad. It's bad. That is bad. Can we get a graphic of the Corona Reaper? I just go outside and just keep living my my cruise. Sure. I just, especially if I had the all. <laughs> when I did a cruise, I got the all you can drink package. I know this would surprise you. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, stunned. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, do you want the all you can drink package? And damn right I do. <laughs> <laughs> floating around in this barnacle <laughs> boat. <laughs> I just 135 people on that cruise ship confirmed with coronavirus. Oh, That's horrifying. This is like Gilligan's Island, <laughs> but there's no like Marianne and Ginger to like <laughs> check out. This sucks. Yeah, be bad. Now, I, I, I do know I am smart enough to know that the coronavirus has nothing to do with Corona beer. I think we're all 
but I'm also smart enough to know I ain't taking any damn chances. <laughs> <laughs> no Corona for you, huh? No way. I mean, you don't want to be that guy that's like, how did, uh, how did he die? I got the coronavirus. Oh, man. Was he in like China or something? No, nah, I just drank a 12-pack of Corona. They were saying there was no link back then, but then we found out they just paid the FDA off or something. <laughs> I'm not dumb enough not to, to, to just start drinking Corona when there's something called the coronavirus. <laughs> I still would say, Dan, that there's a chance that on the ring around your little aluminum cans of bush light, there's something bad there, too. You <laughs> Absolutely <know>? there is. <laughs> Maybe not life-threatening, is- <laughs> but it ain't good for you. I ain't drinking the Corona while the- I mean, they named- somebody named it. Someone is sending us a sign. <laughs> Every time that- Where was the Pacifico virus? Would you stop drinking Pacifico? Yeah. Anybody, there should be somebody should have done a story, a market watch kind of story on if you oh, know, Corona dead. sales are down. I bet Terrible. they are. Every time that cruise ship does another lap of Japan, a Corona gets its line. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no way. <laughs> another lap. Write that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I did not. Uh, uh, <laughs> Anytime, every time (laughs) the cruise ship does another lap of Japan, another Corona gets its line. That's right. That's our new thing you've said since the aging stripper analogy. It's not as good as those commercials where they have like these stick thin 22 year olds on a beach, like a, a supermodel party on the beach. Oh, yeah. All drinking fat beer. Like, there ain't no way that girl's drinking Corona, man. No. No. <laughs> yeah. They're going to invite you to their Cinco de Mayo party, Dan. Yeah. You could can, can be the MC. <laughs> I can, let me tell you what. If Corona sends me a nice uh, couple free cases that I can drink after the virus has been cured, I'll be happy to, 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 to remind everyone there's no link between Corona and coronavirus. <laughs> or so they say. It's like the Bud Light chained up coolers that that they had when the Browns were going 0 and 16. Oh, right. yeah. They have like a, yeah. a chained up the cooler, chained up mini fridge the for fridge the Corona could, to break yeah, open. Yeah, the fridge would only open when the Browns won, and then they tied. Remember? <laughs> yeah. And everyone they tied their first game to end the losing streak technically, and but no, <laughs> the rule was a win. It's a good rule. I, I respected Bud Light for sticking to its principles. Can't Absolutely. get drunk on a tie, I, although you can in Cleveland. <laughs> So I think this is like a pivot point in our podcast history. After like two years of Dan groveling for a Bush Light sponsorship, he's finally giving up and he's moved on yeah, to Corona. Guy's done nothing <laughs> for me. I'm, I'm not sure he's wooing Corona very well by an by yeah. announcing no. he will refuse to drink it until the virus I, is cured. I, now you know what the gr- the girls at the bars at UMass in the early '90s felt like. <laughs> All right. Speaking of plagues. The Michigan State coaching search. Woo! Woo! Young Pete had a good uh, scoop this morning. I was watching a replays. I was watching a bar rescue marathon. Pete was working. <laughs> bar uh, rescue. <laughs> nothing like the Monday morning bar rescue marathon to ease into the week. Uh, Luke Fickle staying at Cincinnati. Now, by the time we uh, this you're hearing this, maybe Michigan State has got a a a coach, or maybe not. Maybe it is just floating around the Great Lakes like a <laughs> cruise ship. Yeah, looking for a landing. Yeah. <laughs> what's that, what's that, that old song that Harbaugh likes, That the shipwreck song? Oh, oh Ed, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, the yeah. Edmund Fitzgerald. 
This is the wreck of the Bill Beekman we got going on. We're here. heading to Duluth. I don't know. So uh, Fickle turns it down. And now we go. Let's start with MSU because we'll talk about Fickle because I think he got a, he, he did pretty well out of this. Uh, Pete, do you know why he turned it down and where, where are we going? You seem to be the expert right now. There's a lot wrong at Michigan State right now. And if you really take a <laughs> look, step back and look at this job objectively, there's a lot of reasons to turn it down. We could start with the timing, which is terrible, as uh, as you guys talked about uh, on the emergency pod last week, where you, in between mocking me, uh, offered some, some faint analysis of the Michigan State job. And, um, you know, it's always hard to take a job in, you know, in February. I mean, Dentori stepped on the day before signing day. So whoever they forced whoever was going to take it, if they were a sitting head coach to go essentially like sit in front of a microphone and talk about a great recruiting class where they might be committed to the players for like 24 hours. So optics are bad. And then you have all the things going against Michigan State. Someone mentioned the immortal Bill Beekman, who is chasing John Curry right now for this century's worst coaching search, or he's maybe setting the new bar back. Sully aggressively nodding his head, having lived through the John Curry Tennessee search. So basically, if you are an established head coach, the AD, now he is technically, he's not an interim AD, he's technically the full-time AD, but he's really not the full-time AD. He's not going to be there for very long. So you you have to walk into a place where the roster stinks, there's no quarterback, the timing is terrible to leave your current job, the leadership is a mess, and there's still this awful stench from the from the Nasser scandal hanging over the school. It's unknown if the NCAA is going to do anything about the Nasser scandal like they did at Penn State, like as Pat reported last week in a great scoop that they're 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 pondering and doing at Baylor. So it, it and you're the fourth best job in either the hardest or the second hardest division in college football. So there's a lot working against Michigan State right now, but I do think the leadership void there is going to end up being a critical thing for for coaches who can or who are going to come in and lock in and really analyze the job. Yeah, there's a lot of issues there, no doubt about it. Pete, you named virtually all of them, and I think yeah, you can add. I mean, the lawsuit, Curtis Blackwell's lawsuit that's dragged uh, Mark D'Antonio in and whether or not there were violations committed there that could be part of an NCAA investigation that, that get a little more specific to football. You know, I don't know whether <clears throat> they go back around to the coaches that they talked to before they talked to Fickle, you know, whether it's Mel Tucker, Robert Sala, the uh, defensive coordinator at, at the Niners, Tucker, of course, the head coach at Colorado, Matt Campbell, or if they go Trestle the Younger, who's already on staff there as kind of a stopgap guy. Maybe you give it to him for a year and see where things stand. But the options are not good. The situation, the overall context in East Lansing, after it's amazing, is it was really good for a long time, and now things have turned uh, quite nasty the other way. Yeah, I think it's the nephew, by the way, on Trestle Pat. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. It is technically the younger, but I, I think it's uh, <laughs> right. I, I think it's the nephew. No, I think Mike Trestle as an interim is is a fairly attractive at this juncture as we're taping this at twelve nineteen on Monday morning. Like, OK, the guy's been there. He keeps your identity. He goes and does what D'Antonio couldn't do and hires a, a competent uh, OC. But you got to come and give somebody a three year deal and, and do it like 
I, I don't know. Do you, do you go reach for Brett Bielmo, who's with the New York Giants now? He's obviously won in the Big Ten. He has an outlandish Big Ten record if you really look at it. Do you try to go to like a Mark Stoops or a Justin Wilcox who fits your identity? Wh- whatever it is, they are going to pay a whale of money if they get an established guy. Yeah. They have just leveraged themselves into a corner of desperation. And, and I think this search and Glenn Sugiyama from DHR International has run it. Beekman is really like the shot of him walking off the plane to the cameras is going to be sort of like I think the the moment that lives in, in, in infamy for this. But all along, I had been told that their top target was Luke Fickle. Well, don't go t- try to talk to him third. What was don't the point of fly- that? What were they doing? Yeah. You know? Now, some there, there's and this is the problem with the Mark D'Antonio still around. And he, he's hurt them in a few ways. And Dan wrote a good column about that. You know, when, when all this happened is D'Antonio clearly wanted Fickle because that's his guy. Mark is Luke's mentor. Luke was a young coach under Mark. Their families are close. They're they're sort of wired in in similar in somewhat similar ways in the DNA. But there's a feeling to me that Michigan State wants to get away from Mark. And so maybe they were trying to go do something different and not what Mark wanted. But there was interest from from Fickle in this, or he wouldn't have sat down and talked to him. But when when I look at that field of candidates, as soon as Mark D'Antonio says we're stepping down, I'm on a plane to Cincinnati and I am I am saying you are our number one candidate. All they're fiddling around in the West Coast and getting publicly rejected by Pat Narduzzi and publicly rejected by Mel Tucker, also reportedly rejected by Matt Campbell. Like all of a sudden you're like, okay, Luke, come to this job. You have one of the three best jobs in the group of five. You get a top 20 team coming back. The Cincinnati roster right now is exponentially better than Michigan State's. If they played on a neutral field next year, Cincinnati would be favored by a touchdown. It's like, are you going to leave? And Luke Fickle also has never lived outside the state of Ohio other than when he had a cup of coffee in the NFL with the Saints. He was like a practice squad guy there right after he graduated. So you have to leave all this to come to this sort of beacon of instability. It just didn't make a lot of sense. I look at like uh, when Baylor hired Jim Grobe to be their interim coach. And that was actually at a, I think was at a better timing wise, but they were at such instability with the program. And they wait a year and they end up getting Matt Rule. And obviously it works out tremendously for them. I don't know if that's the thing to do with Michigan State and just say, look, D'Antonio screwed us. There's all these questions. We don't have an AD. Let's just sort this out. And maybe you just hire Trestle for a year or you go and hire somebody under the clear premise you're not getting the job long term. And because the problem with Trestle is what if he does a decent job? He's allowed to work his way into the job that he may not really work it. I don't know. It's kind of tricky. So maybe you go that route. Right. I mean, that's like the Baylor thing was cut and dry. Jim Grubb was never keeping that job. And he actually got it in the summer. He got it. He got it late, which might have almost been better just because you're throwing a guy in there that I don't think there was any preconceived illusions that he was going to be your long term guy. They may be in a situation unless now they are all of a sudden, you know, crank up the the salary, crank up the years and go back at these guys and say, here's six million. Come save us to one of the guys that turned them down. If you don't go that route, I think uh, the what you're talking about, Dan, might be might be the more strategic move is just get somebody who can come in for a year and then go from there. So what about Bielema? Brett Bielema was hugely successful at Wisconsin. And I know I don't, I'm sensing a resistance to him based on what happened at Arkansas. And he can be a, a brash guy that not everyone likes. But what was Mark D'Antonio's warm and cuddly? Who cares? The guy did win. He created identity. Now, he that was the identity of, of Wisconsin football. 
But Michigan State's got a lot better opportunity to become a ground and pound. And I don't know that that's all Brett Bielema would do. But you got a better chance of going that route than say, you know, we're going to run the spread better than we're going to have better athletes than anybody else. So I I don't know. What are your thoughts on him? Because I, I don't, I, he seems like he's the, the Arkansas thing really put him in mis in, in disfavor around the country when he still did incredible work at Wisconsin and it wasn't that bad at at, at Arkansas. It wasn't yeah, good. You know, but. I'm I'm looking at it right now. He was 68 and 24 in the in the Big Ten when he was at Wisconsin. That was his overall record, 68 and 24. Three league titles. I believe he won three straight Big Tens. I'm looking here now to confirm that. Yeah, that yeah. looks right. He went to three and straight Rose Bowls. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? He wasn't terrible at Arkansas compared to the Chad Morris disaster right. we just right. lived through. He went to three bowl games in five years. Like he had Hunter seven Yurichek and six. Sign up for that. Yeah. He Sam Pittman wouldn't even dare season dream in the about SEC. that right now. Yeah. Like they were functional until they were, you know, until they really cratered that uh, that last season. They're also still paying him or legally arguing about paying, which is which is hilarious. Look, I I agree. Bielma perpetuated what Barry Alvarez had started there. I I mean, as as human beings, Bielma is very different than Antonio. I think I think Bielma is like sort of a jolly, gregarious kind of. Uh, you know, like teddy bear of a guy where, where D'Antonio to me is that, 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 that steel jaw, perpetual frown, the pride before the fall kind of, uh, you know, kind of a guy. Bielma's like, you know, on reality shows, he's, you know, funny he's guy to, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been known to I, I liked him, Taylor but too. He, he, like, yeah, he talked big. He talked. Oh, yeah. yeah and, and, and that's yeah. like some reason I think other fans didn't like him, but it's like, if that's your guy, who cares? Oh, yeah. Like, well, especially that would fit, I think, with the Michigan State underdog spit in your eye mentality with the blue bloods in the division. You know, if you if you if you spit at them and you can actually beat them, hey, they would love that. I mean, that that would be fine you, with them. You spent two years with with Belichick. This is a bad yeah. like midlife, like mid career reboot. Yeah. Not bad. I mean, it's better than like if he was on ESPN, I swear he'd be a hotter candidate. It was like, sure. Yes. You go sure. play for the Patriots. He disappears. I, even the Super Bowl last year, I tried to find him at the Super Bowl media day. And he, there was no like those guys hide out because he's a defensive consultant or something. So he wasn't right. quite. So it's like you go into witness protection, but I'd rather him hanging around listening to Belichick for two years than than, you know, yucking it up on on one of those ESPN shows. He would be an intriguing candidate. He really would. And given the state of things. That might be the kind of the way they need to look, and you could probably get him for less than the than overpaying for Mel Tucker or something like that, trying to get him to come back around. So, you know, it's funny. He took over Wisconsin when Wisconsin was in very good shape from Alvarez, and he did he did well. He took over Arkansas when it was in terrible shape. It took him a while to get going. Then they backslid and got rid of him, and now they probably wish they hadn't. If you've coached Wisconsin in the Big Ten, you've coached Arkansas in the SEC, you know a little bit what you're getting into at Michigan State, I think. You have a clear identity with who Brett Bielma is and what he's doing, and I think that identity would resonate at uh, at Michigan State. He's not going to back down to Harbaugh. He's not going to back down to the sort of Ohio State juggernaut that Ryan Day has, has perpetuated from Urban there. Yeah, I, I think he's a, uh, you know, it, it, he's you've got to be a little different at Michigan State. Michigan State, you got to have a personality to stand out. It's the second school. It's the state school. I would enjoy the Brett Bielma era for sure. All right, it's settled. They're hiring him. I think we just decided. Yeah. There we go. 
Let's do it. I don't know. Pod, that, the podcast probably... has made its first hire. Yes, I we think do. Is... We, we, we hire coaches who are going to give us entertainment. Sure. And quite frankly, <laughs> there would be much. Yeah, no offense to Mike Tressel or Mel Tucker, but they would be way more entertaining if Bielma was. Uh, Izzo's always wanted to coach the football team. So they really ah. should just be like, all right, Tom, there we'll give you, you a one year. You coach the team in the fall. And then you can take back the basketball program like, you know, in January or December. Man, I swear to God, Izzo would go for that in a minute. <laughs> he would. <laughs> he always wanted to coach football. Yeah. He puts his basketball team in pads. Yeah. Yeah. The, be over the there. big surprise is Izzo hasn't been on the plane, you know? Yeah. Recruiting yeah. guys. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, how about this for Fickle? Um, I think this is great. Fickle got like five days as the bell of the ball. And he... Everyone knows how good his Cincinnati team is, and he's sticking around for another year. He's probably going to get a raise of some sort. And his old boss is at USC, and maybe that ends up being something. Talk about how to do a coaching search as a candidate really well. Like, get yeah. wooed, get all this attention, and then, ah, sorry, I'm happy here at Cincinnati. It's basically like, I'm waiting for something better than Michigan State, and I Pretty good, pretty good little career uh, career move by uh, Fickle. Shoot, I, I mean Pete laid it out too. I think his team, his program's in better shape. Uh, you're in a better place now. You know the one thing you do not have, obviously, is access to the playoff, realistic access. But Michigan State ain't going to the playoff anytime soon either. So, yeah, you keep you keep your job there. You further strengthen the affection, admiration of the fan base. You can go in and tell the recruits, hey, all around Ohio, I'm still here. Look what we're doing. We're really good. And as you said, you keep your options open going forward. There will be better jobs open in 2021. Yeah. You look at Scott Frost and go, hey, you had a pretty good there a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> That's a big for the American Athletic on. Conference, too, to keep fickle. You know, they've had, they've lost good. so many good coaches. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to bring up Frost, Dan, because uh, they play. Cincinnati plays yeah. at Nebraska next season. And I would think they're, they'd be favored at Nebraska right now. I don't just, you know, Desmond Murder is back at quarterback. They're going to return somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 starters. You know their defense is going to be good again. And now Fickle has put together back-to-back historically good for Cincinnati recruiting classes. Clearly, the strength co- the strength program there is the one adopted from Ohio State. It's Brady Collins, who's Mickey Marotti's old strength coach. They have the the, the system in place to grow, to develop bigger, stronger, faster, all that. So I, I don't see them taking a, uh, taking a step back. They have Memphis at home. That's going to be the rare, because Memphis returns just about everybody. Memphis could be preseason. Where did you put them, Pat, in your preseason Mem- uh, way too early? Memphis, I, them, I think I had Memphis around 15. Um, I had, I had yeah. Cincinnati at 12. If Memphis had kept uh, Norvell, I would have had him. In, I would have had him like 10th. That's right. That was what I re- recall you saying. Yeah. I remember reading it. And see, <clears throat> yeah. So I and I agree. Mike Norvell was part of the magic there. You can't deny it. But you also can't deny what they have back. So that Memphis Cincinnati game. I mean, we're talking about an AAC regular season football game on February. Uh, I don't know what day it is, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's just yeah. that that has not happened in that league in, in, you know, in recent years. So that that gives them a potential top 10 game. Yeah. If you think about it, which is crazy. And you know what? Nippert Stadium. We, we've talked about this on the pod a few times over the years. That's a fun little uh, band awesome. box. Oh, yeah. 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 That that place will get that place will pop. I always have, as you guys know, I have a soft spot for the mid-major guys, so I I look forward to uh, seeing what they can do at Cincinnati for an encore. All right, other big story over the weekend: basketball, and not the current season. <laughs> Robert Montgomery Knight, the general, 
Return to Indiana, first time in 20 years. Tons of his former players there. Isaiah Thomas, I mean, and, and everybody. Pat was there. Uh, I did watch on TV. Um, that was my contribution. It was... Uh, salute you, Dan. Thank you. That's a sacrifice I made. It was pretty... It was emotional, I imagine. Pat, tell us what it was like in there when they brought him out. The night was... You could see it. And I think he teared up at a couple times. You could see how much it meant to him, his son, Pat, just all the players that he he would walk out on the assembly hall court. And at 79, uh, I don't think he was up to to address the crowd. And that was kind of sad to see. But um, I don't know. He just he looked he looked happy. Indiana looked happy. It was it it, it was time no matter what pros or cons people had it, it's it's there's times to to bury whatever hatchets are out there and it looked like uh that that happened what was it like saturday in bloomington yeah uh very moving no doubt about it for a number of reasons the crowd it was interesting to look at the crowd which i thought looked like a somewhat older crowd like one of those where you know the tickets dad or grandpa still has the tickets in his name and you get to use them for most of the games and dad grandpa grandpa comes in and says no no i'm taking them for this game i want to be here to see bobby the students the students started lining up the night before wrapped all the way around assembly hall by noon game was at two i think they had a curiosity to them bob knight's just been a myth a myth and a legend and they wanted to see him and, and maybe soak up some of the feel of what it was like when he coached in there and then the players. Yeah. I mean, you talked about, I mean, there were a lot of great, great players that were down on that court when he came in and the looks on their faces really said a lot about how much this meant to them. And then Knight himself comes in and yeah, the place erupts and it's moving when you see somebody who has always been this towering kind of figure in this now enfeebled state. You know, and I, I made their the comparison to ba- uh, Muhammad Ali lighting the torch with trembling in 1996 in Atlanta. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, look at him. And there was somewhat like that with Bob Knight, who was a big guy who carried himself in an intimidating manner on purpose because he liked to bully people. And this was not a bully. This was a frail old man coming back. Finally, as you said, burying the hatchet. The hatchets are all his, by the way. They, everybody else had buried the hatchets. It was time for him to bury his big arsenal. Uh, he's been a bitter man. He's been an angry man. It was the one thing that he didn't control, which was his firing. Finally laid down the sword and accepted it. And I think it was great for everyone. Had to happen. Needed to happen. If he had died without it happening, I think the regret would have been immense for everyone. I have a couple questions for Pat, just who was there. And I was obviously compelled by that scene, like like everybody else uh, was watching uh, w- watching at home. And first of all, we always promote our, our columns and you know everyone's columns. But Pat's column on that was one of the best columns I've read in a long time. It really captured the moment. It was it was excellent, high end uh, column writing. And I would strongly encourage you to go to uh, si.com and check it out. He really captured a, a really powerful uh, powerful moment. Can you bring us there a little bit, Pat? It looked like where you were sitting was sort of almost like in the second deck near the fans. You know, yeah, sometimes oh yeah. when we cover these games, we can be secluded. Like, give me a little feel for like what yeah. you saw. Cause I'm watching these students and I'm like, that guy wasn't even alive when Bob Knight coached here. And they're like, there, I just get, give me a little sense of like the, the buzz amid there. I'd be curious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Where we were sitting, like in the assembly hall, like many other places is not great for media seating nowadays. There were some seats at midcourt. I was not among those. I was up in one of the corners, and there was like 10 of us maybe or eight seats up there. And, 
you're behind some of the disabled seating and some other people. And so like they, you know, well, some people are standing up. You got to stand up to see anything. But you looked and I, I did actually look around at one point, like everybody who was like 40 and younger has got their phone out to get this and record this. The old people are like, no, I'm just going to get this with my mind and just watching it happen. There was just so much anticipation for him walking in. First of all, A, was he going to do it? And then B, it became, it became obvious he was going to. And then B, B, how does he look? You know, and then when he's just shuffling along, it's like, ooh, wow. Yeah, the time the time has been, it's been tough for him and he's not in great shape. And then I think just watching his face you know, and his gestures. At first, he's kind of like, yeah, hi, hi. And then he's like, he raised his hands up, palms up, kind of like, thank you. And then he got, starts getting emotional. And I think when, when Bob Knight has ever gotten emotional in his life, his response is to be fiery or angry. And so he starts shaking his fist saying, play defense. And that really, <laughs> that struck me because that was just so Knight, you know? It's like, ah, I'm not, yeah, forget crying, play defense. And then he grabs Keith Smart and tells him to get in the stance. And Keith Smart gets in the stance. And that was really, that was pretty cool then because that's, that's Bob Knight. Uh, pretty much every Indiana basketball fan, uh, that really endeared him to the fans that yes. did not know him. Like, yeah. yes. Yeah, right. Because that team defense. is not very good. I felt like the moment could have been like a Rorschach test for what you thought of Knight in the first place. You could have seen him going out there yelling defense and saw him as the crazy loon you always saw him as. You could have seen this as like this powerful reconnection moment that that bridges the generations. Like, it, it, But there was no denying that that was, that, that was a poignant, palpable moment out there. Just... It, it, Pat, you know the, the personnel better. Like, there were a lot of great players on that floor. Oh. You know what I mean? Not just, like, good play. Like, like walk through a little yeah. bit of, you, of who, who, was, who was out there and just what they accomplished. All the dudes from 76 were there. And just, but that was, a, that was an awesome, I mean, Keith Smart was an NBA head coach. Oh yeah. I mean, there were yeah, three, Woodson. at least three, at least three NBA yeah. head coaches there. Mike Woodson, yeah. Randy Whitman. Whitman. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Isaiah I mean, there, right? Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah yeah. Thomas in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, Isaiah Thomas was the FIU head coach. We should note that. <laughs> yeah. Scott May, I believe was national player of the year. Pete, you mentioned the Rorschach test. I, I mean, I think we've all we have very differing and just diverging. I would say more than anything, views of of Knight. I wrote columns about him for the Louisville paper for eight years. We covered a ton of Indiana games. I didn't get along with him. I didn't like him very much. Dan, I think you had a much better relationship with him. And that's the thing. That's who, he could be. A lot of different things to a lot of different people. There are more people who are in the night foxhole or more people that want to bomb that foxhole than about anybody who's ever been involved in college basketball. I did have a better relationship with him, although it was complicated, as they always are, with, with Coach Knight. But, uh, Pat, let us I want to hear this story because I was there this night when Bob Knight, I don't know what, it looked like you and Bob Knight were going to fight in the press room one time. Can you please, <laughs> yeah. can you you please tell us the story? <clears throat> I was there. You were... He, oh. he was mad at you and you, oh, yeah. I will give Pat credit as he tells the story. He did stand up. He was, and Pat defended himself. There was no fight, but it was close. <laughs> yeah, no, I will tell this story as briefly and concisely as I can. I believe January 7th, 2000, his last season, they're playing Iowa. I was coached by Steve Alford, one of the all-time greats, one of Knight's best players. That earlier that season at the Big Ten Media Days, the two did not speak to each other. It became obvious that there was a feud going on between them. Bob has a lot of feuds. And uh, people asked Alford about it before this game. They're coming back to Assembly Hall. You know, what's up with Bob? He's like, I don't know, you know, something, but 
you know, for some reason he's mad at me. I, I really don't know why. Knight, of course, doesn't address it, doesn't talk about it. There are stories about it. Curry Kirkpatrick on ESPN does a, a, a bit on the leading up to the game. Pretty critical of Knight after the game. They kind of achieved detente beforehand. Knight comes out, says hello to Steve, smacks Sam Alford in the back of the head. They play the game. Indiana wins the game. Afterwards, Steve Alford comes in the interview room, says all the right things, very gracious, said, look, you know, he means too much to me. I have too much respect for him. We'll get through this. It'll be fine. So all we need now is for Bob to come in and say something similar, and it's a feel-good night at Assembly Hall. Bob does not say something similar. Why would I want to discuss my feelings about my relationship with my dog, let alone some other person with you? You think there's any good reason for me to? I don't either. Bob comes in, gets asked a question by Curry Kirkpatrick. He gets mad at Curry, says, I saw that bleep that you put on the air. And then he's off and running. He's screaming at everybody and getting madder and madder about everything. And he storms out and then he storms back in. And he says, another bang, bang thing. All you blinkity blinks who better make a big bleeping deal about me not talking to Alford immediate day. Well, there's five other bleeping coaches I didn't talk to either. Why the bleep don't you care about that? And I just said, said because you were sitting right next to him. And, <laughs> and he wheels around and says, can't where's help the himself. He's got to answer the question. Uh, I know it. I believe I that it. is the term rhetorical. <laughs> yeah, I, I failed to pick up on the rhetorical part of that. <laughs> and so then Bob turned his rhetoric to me. At that, he started coming at me screaming, and I literally yeah. did not know whether to take notes on him cussing me out or drop the notepad <laughs> and put them up and be ready because it really looked like it was going to be a fight. It is on the 30 for no, 30. He, I believe he said, like, who asked that question? Who yeah. a, he goes, who yeah. asked where's, the question? And where's Pat, the guy that asked that question? I said, I'm and here. Pat goes, uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, all right. Bob Knight's going to kick Pat's ass. This is great. <laughs> Pat Knight saved the day. Pat Knight, uh, yeah. forever my favorite Hoosier because he grabbed his dad and got him out of there before we, we came to blows. <laughs> Uh, I, I, Indiana University, I, I did not end well, but in the late 90s, they should have paid Pat Knight like, like <laughs> I mean, it, in the end, it blew up, right? Yeah. But without Pat Knight, it would have blown up about eight years prior because that guy yeah. saved innumerable days. No <laughs> doubt. the only yeah. person on the face of the earth who could get Bob Knight to calm down or do anything was his yeah. son. Right. That was it. He was the most valuable assistant coach in the history of college basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Knight's Shares would have been throwing. He is. Yeah. Best. He is. Yeah. Good, good storyteller. Oh, uh, yeah. Funny. He's been known to enjoy an evening beverage, as Dan well knows, <laughs> I'm sure. So I've, I've known Pat a little bit. A, a different kind of night story. So I'm, I'm going, I think I'm working for CBSSports.com. Uh, it's called Sportsline back then. I'm up in New York for one of those pre early season deals. And uh, we had a boss. He actually was really good, Steve Miller. And he kind of taught me like, if you're on the road, you better make something happen with a column. Like you can't just be on the road. We didn't have a lot of money. I don't think, I don't know what the budget, but if you just wrote some basic column while you were on the road, you were in a lot of trouble. So you better find something the night before they're, they're flying in and they're going to practice. And then I basically get it where I'm going to get to go to dinner with with Knight and Pat and uh, the different guys. I don't know, whatever it was going to be. I was going to get to see them the night before. But their flight from Texas Tech is late. And they end up practicing somewhere. And it's getting to be like, I'm not going to be able to get this Bob Knight column. 
And it's not like, or I think that was it. I was just going to get this Bob Knight call and get to sit down with Knight or something. I don't, I can't remember now, but I'm like kind of panicked. So I finally get Pat on the phone and I'm like, hey, uh, I, I go, I'll take you guys to dinner, right? You guys got to eat. It's like nine at this point or something like that. And they're just finishing up practicing some high school gym in, in Queens. And he goes, hold on. My dad wants to talk to you. So he gets on and he's like, he goes, I ain't eating dinner with no writer. What the, you know, he's giving me a hard time. <laughs> and I'm like, at this point, I'm kind of screwed. Like if I don't get this Bob Knight column, I am in getting, I'm getting cussed out by the Bob Knight in my life. So <laughs> I, I go, I go, look, I'm buying. I go, you never had a writer buy. I'm trying to, you got to go back at him. Like, you know, right. he just, you just got to go back at him hard. And it's, we're, it's friendly, right? It's not, does not mean. And I said, I'll buy you dinner. And he goes, all right, I got to see this. Uh, and then he goes, you mind if I bring a couple guys, right? And I one thing about Bob Knight, and I had had dinner with him before, like, you don't know who's showing up at this dinner. Like, this guy <laughs> knows everybody. Like, it could be a five-star general. There could be an actor. There could, I mean, he doesn't, you'd have no idea, right? So I go, yeah, I'll buy dinner for everyone, okay? Now I'm over my skis because, okay, this yeah. is not, that probably <laughs> wasn't a good idea. But there I am. Young reporter, desperate. So he goes, all right. So they goes, uh, we're going to this uh, place. Here's the address. So I go over. It's in Manhattan. I get there, and it's a Brazilian steakhouse, okay? <laughs> and I'm waiting for night, and I'm waiting for nights to show up. And uh, I'm like, all right. You know, I'm looking at the thing. All right, I can handle it. We're, we're, we're going to get this done. I'm going to get a Bob night. I'm going to make this thing good. Just make something happen. You really didn't care about the money, but you better make something happen. So all of a sudden, a bus pulls up. Team bus. <laughs> the whole team. Out starts walking the team, <laughs> the managers, <laughs> the doctor, boosters and their wife, yeah. assistant, co- you know, AD. Yeah. There's like 60 freaking people on this bus, right? And Knight comes walking off. He's wearing a fishing hat in the middle of Manhattan. And I'm standing on the sideline like this bastard just suckered me, right? And I don't quite, you can't back down with him. You just can't, right? So he walks by, does not say a word. He just starts walking right at me and right as he does not break stride. And right as he goes pat, right past me with his little fishing hat, he goes, how you like my guys? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, I'm like, classic. I am freaking dead meat. Like this is going to be like $4,000. <laughs> but obviously I, he did, I did not have to pay for the Texas tech team meal, but it was pretty funny on the way he would do. He would do stuff like that. And I, was, I always remember that he's a funny guy. He's very, very, very interesting guy. I don't, you know, all his stuff. I'm not saying it was all right. It was all all great, but he's a throwback. It was just a different. He he never changed with the times. The times changed. No, yeah, he was not yeah. at all. He, you know, you see like Shashevsky now. Who I always thought Shashevsky should have been named the general. Shashevsky's the general. Generals are like calculating, smart, adaptable. You know, right? He went to West Point. Knight was like no discipline, wild. He wasn't the general. But you look at Shashevsky, he is old school as they get at this point. But he is, he changed 15 times throughout his career. Sure, sure. And, Knight, and that never. No, and, and look, Shashevsky can berate his players every bit as profanely as Knight ever did. He's just not going to let you hear it because he is that calculating and that image conscious. Knight never cared about his image. He's just going to do what he wanted to do. I could lower the journalistic bar from Dan's story trying to buy Bob Knight dinner with my one Bob Knight story. It's like 01 
I'm a freelancer for the New York Times. And like one of my first big assignments was they were really good that year. They had, what was it, Emmett? Andre Emmett. Andre Emmett. Andre Emmett, yeah. They went to Street 16. So I went out and like, it took like two weeks to set it up, but I went out to do like a Texas Tech basketball story. I remember I flew there. It was when the, the Patriots won the Super Bowl against Carolina and Houston. And I flew to Lubbock. That's that Monday I get in and this is kind of like pre cell phone, pre internet, pre 24 hour stuff. I have like a 9am meeting with, with night the next day. So I land late in Lubbock. I go to like some pizza place, which shows you how young and dumb I was. I went to eat pizza in Lubbock and it's like the 10 o'clock news is about to start and I'm sitting down eating my terrible pizza. I look up and like the local news anchor is like the lead story tonight. Bobby Knight had a confrontation at a salad bar today with the Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah. I just panicked. I'm like, their SID was terrible yeah, right. was at the time. He was just like Randy some night Farley. lackey. Yes, he was just Randy. I'm sure he was he's a, a nice wonderful guy. man. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Not good at his job. And so he wasn't supposed like, to. He oh was very God. good at his job for what Knight wanted. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The answer to everything is no. That was it. <laughs> but very say it very nicely. This is a huge story. It's 11 at night. I know no one in Lubbock. I have no sources. The SID is not going to call me. And I panic. And I just grab my cell phone on the table and shut it off. <laughs> and I was like, I'm asleep. They can't find me. I'm asleep. <laughs> and so it, it took like four days to finally get night. I just remember yeah. sitting in the courtyard in Lubbock, waiting, waiting. And I'm calling Pat, trying to negotiate it. I'm, I'm calling around. Anyway, I finally got him. The story was fairly forgettable. I watched some film with him and uh, that. But that sheer moment of I parachuted into this giant oh, no. story and I'm completely ill-equipped to handle it, I will not forget it. I'm still getting like puberty sweats right now. I remember <laughs> that. Uh, that sal- Yeah, he got in a fight at the salad bar. Yeah, yeah. salad bar at the grocery yeah, store. like the vice yeah. chancellor of the school or there's something yeah <laughs> yeah the next day i'm like hitting up the bag boy for quotes at the market i'm like hey, just go tonight yesterday. <laughs> work in aisle six <laughs> yeah like the new york times we'll go anywhere for a story you know like <laughs> high moments in high high journalism bar pete's over in the produce section of <laughs> shop i right. got the deli Love guy it. the deli guy gave me a little kiss <laughs> He was uh, highly, he was something else, man. He was something else. Yeah. Uh, no, they, no doubt. I mean, the volatility and the brilliance and everything else. I mean, you just never knew. Because that's after games. If he wanted to be good after games, he was great because he was so smart oh. and so able to analyze. And then if he wanted to be a jerk, he was a jerk. He's. I heard him do both many times. I Yeah. yeah. He's he very, was a terrible color guy. Oh, terrible. Terrible. He was really bad. Yeah. Put, I, there was, was no effort. He'd be like. The, yeah. uh, the, the, the left-hander they got in there, is, uh, he's pretty yeah. good. He's got good yeah. feet. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's one of those, like, adapt. No, he ain't adapting. He's not going to adapt to a TV style and, you know, do it now. That's just not who he's going to yeah. be. Didn't uh, all the ESPN people, too, like, there were, like, so many, like, he, he berated us. <laughs> Custom oh, producer. Yeah. Worst guy to work with for 25 years. You're hired. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. was thrilled. I, let me tell you. I was there at I've, the time. Oh. I found him very, very entertaining. I found him. Uh, I couldn't cover his Indiana time much. Uh, I was there that time with Pat or uh, with uh, with Pat Forty. I did cover his Texas Tech time. And yeah, people read about him, too. That's the thing. I mean, look, we're doing mm. this guy retired a long time ago. We just did yeah. 20 minutes yeah. on him. Uh, and could do 20 more. So, yeah, well, 
uh, I'm glad that they they settled that. I think people take whatever he did is, you know, relax. He, that he was, was probably the most memorable moment of this college basketball season other than the fight. Yeah. Right, right. Probably yeah. more like, memorable even. Yeah. 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 The fight yeah I mean, those those are the two things like that you, you know, and and look, there's been good games and, and all that stuff. But like that, those are like what are what are sort of the like the the real signature moments from this season. Yeah. That, that's certainly one of them. That's, that, that just speaks to his aura and power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I know he was terrible to some of his players, but it was also like you did sign up for this. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it was not. This is not like uh, it wasn't a sneak attack late in his career. You signed up <laughs> to play for the craziest guy going. Right. Um, guess what? He, You know, Tiger's going to Tiger. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of is the great missed free throw the other night in the Duke UNC game. Oh, that my was goodness. Awesome. That was incredible. Uh, that was the greatest missed free throw I've ever seen. Uh, I'm not even close. Like, uh, I can't even think of a second missed free throw that's in the same ballpark. It never works. Well, not only know, did, it not, did it work, he, he directed it. Yeah. That's the thing. It was he got the pass. rebound himself. He gets the rebound himself. Unbelievable I mean, play. No, that, yeah. that was amazing. And that uh, Henry Bushnell of Yahoo did a great job breaking it all yeah. down, really did. But that that he was even he was standing a little bit right of center at the free throw line because he wanted to throw it off that side. I mean, yeah. Give that kid a degree in physics right now from Duke University. And you know what? It was a chest pass. He didn't yeah, shoot it. Right, right. He yeah, he like it was it was all very intentional. And then he had a tough shot. I mean, he oh had to gosh. wiggle his way into the lane. And yeah. then pulls up, and he's not exactly America's greatest shooter. No. And that was a tough-as-nail shot over a good defensive closeout to get it there. He might have traveled, but who cares? Yeah, right. Let him. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been the worst call ever. You got oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We would spend all podcast ripping the ref. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the Duke-Carolina rivalry game was not what it used to be because Carolina is so bad. But the game itself, whoa. And the uniforms. Incredible. My ah, God. The uniforms were terrible. What the? I, I will say this: Carolina had some dudes on the court who I was like, "You play for North Carolina?" <laughs> like, like they got some like yeah. intramural leftover looking like not yeah. that great right. players. Like something went way wrong. I I don't know if like the like CB McGrath leaving again. He just got fired the other day, a couple of years ago. Like it's like because Carolina, even when they like didn't have lottery picks, they always had great players. Yeah, like yeah. they just you know uh, it again. Some dudes left early. Like, I get it. It's the cycle. They All these programs have down years. You know, Kentucky had that year. They lost to Robert Morris in the NIT. All these all these powerhouses have have dips. It's just inevitable with how flux the sport is. But, my God, they were not good. No, no. They are, this, it, well, Roy said, the most limited team he's had. And he's right. All right. I got a quick uh, update. on, And then I got a people's court. We're going to end up out oh, there. All right. Ooh. Let's go. Chicken war. Oh, here we go. Got, Chicken war. We got a situation. First off, if you were watching the market today, I don't know how the hell we did. Did anyone invest in uh, Popeyes? Should have, should have. QSR is their is their is their parent company. And uh, what is it? QSR. Yeah, QSR. Let's see if they're up actually. Well, they they sold. Yeah, they're up uh, one point eight today. Uh, let's see about their their six month. They're down. They're down. Okay, they're up today though because uh, reports are in. Popeye's chicken sales were up 34% in the last quarter. Woo! 34% all because of the chicken sandwich we've been hyping nonstop. <laughs> You're welcome, very QSR investors. Yes, yes, I believe so. No doubt about it. So huge, huge deal for Popeye's. Not a surprise, but with every yin, there is a yang. The Popeye's chicken and the Chick-fil-A chicken war is based on the need 
for quarter pound chickens, chicken breast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is the sandwich. And we now have a shortage, a shortage of these chicken breasts for the sandwiches. Okay. Uh, can't be big chickens. Got to be small chickens. It's getting harder and harder to get that smaller bird. Said Uh-oh. David Maloney, executive vice president of analytics at the supply chain technology company Aerostream. Imagine be a chicken supply analyst. <laughs> yeah, like where Pretty does he good. live? Yeah, right. You know, do you have a big like Arkansas. glass corner office because you're a chicken analyst? I don't know. Chick Fil A sales went up 13 percent last year, and obviously, uh, uh, oh, then look at this, KFC. Took a hit. Their comparable sales dropped in the last uh-huh. quarter. You know, you snooze, you lose. Sit on the sideline in the chicken wars, you get taken over. I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, they ran out of these chickens. They didn't order enough in the summer, and Popeyes ran out of the chicken. Now we're just we're we're. I don't know if prices are going to go up, but the chicken sandwich battle is is underway. We're low on small chickens. America is running out of small chickens, is what we're saying here. Apparently, that's the deal. What so, do we do? If you're, I mean, uh, we do we need to until we can. Uh, do we invade Mexico and take their chickens? I mean, what what where, if where we have we, to if we have if we to, have to. You know? is this is how a, is this how a Democratic candidate rises to the top? You know, we have these debates <laughs> with like nine candidates. They go on a pro Popeyes, pro chicken format. That's it. Invade Mexico, take their chickens. <laughs> <laughs> better, it's better than building a wall. We don't need a wall. If you build a wall, we won't get the chickens. Exactly. <laughs> Take down the wall. Invade I'm an and undecided voter. I'm, I'm open to whatever. I mean, I'm not yeah. non nonpartisan, independent, undecided. I don't have to vote for anything. So, if you come with a good chicken platform, you don't know. <laughs> if you come you with get a good my vote, chicken platform, I'm in the swing state of Michigan here. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. Anything's Your possible. Vote actually more than mine. Yeah. Where the hell's Trump on this issue? What, what do we got? How about, you know, anyway, I'm a single, I'm going to be a single issue voter. What's your single issue? Making sure Popeye's has still got the chicken. <laughs> Making sure America stays strong like in health, the small chicken market. Yeah. Healthcare, abort. Now nah, chickens. All right. People's court time. Uh, justice, uh, you two esteemed justices. Yep. We ready? You sure? All right. People's Court takes place this week in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, where a a north side man was arrested early Monday morning. This is per Cincinnati.com or the Cincinnati Inquirer. Authorities allege, they probably prove it, but they allege he called the police more than 25 times because he was looking to get help, looking for a lost hoodie. The perpetrator is not named Bill Belichick. <laughs> Harves Gardner, 32, faces a felony charge of disrupting public services. Police said Gardner requested police assistance and officers went to his apartment. When police <laughs> arrived, the defendant only wanted rides around town to look for his hoodie that he lost. Oh, my God. Uh, you might be surprised to know that police said Gardner was highly intoxicated at the time. <laughs> Officers told him to go to bed, but he continued calling and gave different locations for the police to, res- to, to respond. So he'd go find his hoodie. He's uh, being held or uh, was in the Hamilton County Justice Center. So, look, it is serious business to waste the police time. 
I don't think anyone's going to doubt that. You can't just be calling up and, and I mean, you got important business. Uh, po- the police have uh, emergencies and all of those things. But should Harvest Gardner get put in the clink? Should he do some hard time? Justice 40. Okay. I think we've all lost a hoodie in our day. I mean, I feel for the guy. You got a favorite hoodie that fits just right? (laughs) Here's what I say. Not only should he not do time, he should be hired by the Cincinnati Enquirer because if you can find somebody that dogged and persistent, especially with the cops, (laughs) you hire him. (laughs) He wouldn't let the cops cover up brutality or corruption. He'd be on them. He'd be all over them. Send him down there to police headquarters. He'd be kicking ass. Ah, He's got exactly uh, the kind of dogged reporter you want. He may be completely psychotic and a meth addict, but that's fine. You can work with him on that. (laughs) Get him on him. Send him down there and make him your cop's beat writer. He's highly intoxicated. It says nothing about meth is in there. Eh, you know, he, maybe it's something He does else. have connections now at the Hamilton County Jail. See? I mean, he, got yeah. <laughs> he was persuasive enough that they actually showed up at his house, which I can't believe. Has Cincinnati popped up a few times on these weird news oh, stories? Yeah. I, Cincinnati's yeah. one of the weirdest cities in America. Southern, but not in the South. It's, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's the Midwest. The rest of Ohio doesn't even like believe it exists. And, yeah. Yeah. You have to fly to Kentucky to get there. <laughs> So Cincinnati yeah. Airport is in Kentucky. Yes. Luke, yeah. Fickle, Luke Fickle is staying. <laughs> well, maybe right. Luke Fickle should get this guy as a recruiter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See? He'll call every recruit 25 times. <laughs> All right. Maybe he can go work for the Cincinnati recruiting office on his work release. Pete, should uh should he get uh jail time for this, or do you uh you feel for a guy who lost a good hoodie? I, I'm a hoodie guy. I wear I wear hoodies quite a bit. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take a soft spot. Like obviously harassing the police is serious business. He shouldn't have done that. But it is cold. The hoodie protects your ears. Like you said, it fits snug. I mean, I I if I lost the hoodie that I'm wearing right now, I'd be I'd be you know near panic too. So I mean, we'll it, give him a, we'll give him a pass. I I think I think probation's fine. Oh, stern warning. Um, I don't think we got to do. I mean, the fact they even put him in the justice center was a little bit much. But I mean, he need to sleep it off. Uh, I mean, he wasn't drunk driving around looking for his hoodie. Yeah, he had somebody so, else drive him around. Again, persuasive. Look, this guy's got a few things going for him. I'm dying to know where the hoodie is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He left it wherever he made his last meth deal. Who? Uh, again with the meth. Again with the meth. Gosh, I can't believe you just, I mean, you know, you've never been intoxicated, Pat Forty. Should we just say that you? <laughs> I, uh, I have. Head. No, I have. But I have not called police 25 times while intoxicated. You're not as hardworking. You just pass out. That's true. That's a good point. I don't have a lot of tenants that I live by. When I'm intoxicated, I try to avoid the police. That's <laughs> a pretty good one. Yeah. yeah don't, don't call try to avoid them. Don't. All right. Yeah. That's the podcast. We'll be back next week with uh, more insightful and interesting news from the world of college sports. Take care. (laughs) Uh.